0: Talls up the three, boom! Knocks it out. Curry from the corner at three, puts it in. For overtime, makes it, Garrett, three. Hello from me, Mark Wood. Welcome to the MVP Cast once again. Thank you so much for downloading the podcast. Lots of news. On views in basketball at the moment. If you want to find out what's happening, head to our social channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just search for MVP247. Now, our guest in this edition is someone with a different kind of story. We we like to bring a variety of different tales and backgrounds to the podcast, and we've got someone who shared his story back in February when it was LGBT History Month, and he's, he's a member of Basketball England's Equality, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee, and that's an important issue, and important because we want basketball to be a sport that embraces everyone. We want it to be a safe space, and I think it's important that we highlight the people who are out there trying to make a difference and sharing their stories. And so, joining us, member of the Loughborough Riders, esteemed computer genius, and a proud gay man, is Carl Antifo. Carl, welcome to the MVP Cast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um. Let's go back to to February, and you shared your story, and you, you know you've been, I guess, putting yourself front and center and in, in trying to to make a change within basketball and, and make it a a, be, a better place to be. Um, so you came out and said, "You yeah, know, I'm I'm a gay player," and you you shared your backstory, which I I thought was a fascinating way to get get points across to people and I guess to open people's eyes and, and ears to this. Um, what was the reaction like, I guess, beyond your small circle of the people that already know you well?
1: It was a overall very positive reaction. Um, I've heard from some coaches, some friends and just people within the basketball community who um, I guess were on board with what we were trying to accomplish, just trying to be visible and, and get the story out there. Um, so it was generally very good.
0: What did you want to achieve from on a personal basis? What, what difference do you hope sharing your story can make?
1: Um, so for me, I guess, the biggest thing is visibility. Um, a lot of LGBT plus athletes are there, um, but people don't really know about them, so I thought when I was offered the opportunity to share a little bit about my story, I thought it would be generally good for the community. Um, it's quite helpful for people, especially young people, to see um, people like them in positions that they want to be. So that's kind of why I decided to do it.
0: BE's, um, I could use lots of capital letters here. I was going to say BE's EDI committee, but let's let's spun out. The Basketball England's Equality, <laughs> Diversity, Inclusion Committee. I know it's it's kind of early days in a sense, but when you've, you've had those conversations and, and meetings, um, What do you, what's the big goal or what do do you think the biggest things that need to be addressed at present are?
1: I think it really just starts um, club by club. Um, There are so many different basketball clubs in in the UK and all of them kind of work um, on their own. Um, So when it comes to wider issues, like let's say we want to increase Female participation in the sport. We want to make sure that transgender athletes feel included, um, or even just trying to get people to change certain attitudes. Um, it's very difficult to do um, all across the country. I guess what we've spoken about on the committee is just getting on the ground. Um, so there's so many different clubs and so many different events that that we wanna we wanna be a part of. Um, even even when it comes to trying to talk about what we've done um most of what we've done is coordinating and and trying to trying to set up because we uh, we're in uh is it fifth month we're in our fifth month of the committee um and we're we're trying to start with a regulation standpoint um basketball england this is no secret um hasn't updated their policies on like equality um and transgender inclusion and other policies like that um so we're starting with that. We're gonna to start to then I guess branch out and try and attack specific aspects
0: and, and put on events and, and take things from there and let's talk about your basketball journey. And you you're a London Thunder graduate, so Steve Bucknell's programme um down in and around Lewisham. Um where's the love of basketball come from at the very start? What was the start of this this trip for you?
1: Well, my trips into basketball were mostly unintentional. Um, (laughs) I always avoid playing basketball because everyone just looked at me and said you're tall you should probably play Um, but eventually I just started playing with friends and and just really started to enjoy it Um, so then I played at school and then kept practicing and went to London Thunder
0: as my first team and just took it from there really. I mean you had the chance to go go over to the States to an academy there in and Daytona Beach which yeah famous for motor racing, but yeah, you know, it's, it's not a bad place to end up in your teenage years. Um, how did that come about?
1: Um, well, DME had a partnership with, with London Thunder, um, so they came over and put on a few events, and a few of the players from my year were recruited to play over there. Um, and when I got the opportunity, I was, I was all for it, um, essentially. The chance to move to the States and play a different level of basketball was great, so I, I went for it
0: how did that challenge you as, as a person because you know some' people on the on the podcast who have gone to European countries who've gone over you know just to be freshmen at college at different ages I mean to, to, to get that stateside move I mean yes it's it seems so glamorous you know you get to spend winter in the sunshine which is great and um, how did you find the adjustment process for me it was. I guess both
1: difficult and easy i didn't have to to worry about a language barrier obviously uh, moving to the states um and i was quite lucky in the fact that i went with two of my teammates from from london thunder um so i knew some people going in there and it it was it was quite easy to get started um but it was it was difficult and i'm sure if you ask anybody who's um moved abroad for work or to, to play basketball or any other sport um just being away from family is is a big adjustment um but I guess it's just one of those things that I learned to deal with. Um, You know, everybody eventually, I guess, moves out.
0: Um, So I just had to learn to be independent from a little bit of a younger age. What's that academy system like in the States? Because it's always, you always get that impression. Obviously high school basketball is a, there's lots of high schools which have great basketball programs. And, you know, it's a bit of a talent factory in a sense, but academies are kind of a different level, a bit like they are in this country. Did you feel that, it was a balance of academics and basketball, or did it get, as, as most people have the impression, that it's very much about your skills as a player?
1: Yeah, I think it really depends on which academy you go to. Um, I'll be honest, the, the one I went to, we, we definitely focused more on the basketball side. Um, but myself, just having been an academics person from, from quite a young age, I was always just trying to finish my grades as high as, as I could and then do the best for myself. Um, but yeah I guess overall the, the focus is definitely on basketball and trying to produce the best
0: athletes You got your scholarship to a Methodist university in South Carolina, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it is it Claflin? University. Claflin The A's and the R's in America um, I mean South Carolina can be quite you know, rural I, I, I don't want to stereotype it but it's not, it's not like living in New York or LA or whatever and um, you're coming from London and yeah, then Florida and um, why did you choose there?
1: I mostly chose it not for the town but just for the the situation. Um, I liked the coach and, and the vision that he had for the program um, and I thought it was a place that I could push myself and get better. Um, the town was kind of like a, a second thought and yeah <laughs> I quickly found out it was it was a very rural very quiet place. Um, but I guess that gave me an opportunity to just lock in and and focus on other things.
0: How did the experience turn out for you?
1: Um, well, I mean, I was, I was out in the States for two years. Um, so I, I can't say that it was entirely positive for the whole two years. Um, I did enjoy lots of aspects of it, like getting to, to meet new people and experience different cultures. Um, but some aspects weren't wholly positive. Um, I can't speak for the entirety of, of the Deep South of America, but generally, I would say it's not a very inclusive place for LGBT people. Um, and that's something that I, I guess, witnessed for myself and, and saw other people um, suffering from that. But um, overall, it was, it was a great place. I love, I love the weather, first of all, uh, and all the people there and the food was, food
0: was different. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely an experience. I mean, you were 18. 18 when you came out to your family um and you know you're also then i guess gradually coming out within a basketball community um what was what was tougher for you family or teammates
1: um i would say oh that's a difficult one um my instinct would be teammates is harder um with my family i guess i've known them for longer um and i know that they're gonna love me whatever happens um but sometimes with teammates and you get you have more teammates than your family members i guess so there's more people <laughs> to tell them more chances for things to go wrong um but yeah um it's been overall positive if if i'm if i'm being honest i can't point to a single teammate who's had an issue with it um but it is always scarier i guess coming up to a stranger than and your mum, who've known for your whole life. <laughs>
0: um, I mean, the reason I mentioned Methodist University because you know there is a certain dogma about American universities based on religion and certain different attitudes towards homosexuality in its most general sense. Um, how did you find that conflict on campus between? Yeah, you know, I don't know, the culture of the area, as you said, the culture of the team Scythe, I mean, were you able to be open and be yourself?
1: Um, I think I was, um, and definitely there were a lot of people on campus who were out and proud and, and living their best lives. Um, There were some experiences that I've heard of secondhand um, of not so positive things, but I feel like that can happen anywhere, and I, I would hate to to say it's a an american issue because it definitely isn't there's definitely all sorts of episodes in the uk um but i think it just really depends some people um some people get hate and it's like water off a duck's back and some other people aren't as as able to to ignore and, and to
0: be out in a difficult situation was was the support there from i think mean, it sounds very positive in a way but was, you know, was the support there from coaching staff and you know everyone else in that basketball bubble which can be much more of a kind of yeah I don't know because it's such a tight-knit group you know I guess sometimes you're inside the group and everyone's got your back in your sense it sounds it was relatively positive um
1: I would say overall my career it's it's been very very positive Clatham it was it was fairly neutral they were um all great guys no one said anything bad but I wouldn't say they were you know, donning rainbow flags and coming to pride marches or anything like that.
0: How did you, um, I mean, navigate that in America um, in terms of, you know, you said different different kind of people and different reactions, etc. Um, I mean, I suppose it's a strange question, but do you think being foreign kind of helps in a way? Because they think you're strange anyway.
1: <laughs> um, I, I don't think so. Um, I think, I think people have their own attitudes and i guess it applies to foreigners or people from
0: your own country i guess does it i mean role models are so big in sports um and obviously the one we could all immediately jump at is our, our very own john amici um and there are more not huge but there's more openly gay male athletes within the world of sport does that help as a young person when you're playing but you can also see a s- small stream of people elsewhere who have kind of gone through the same experience of you but who are able to either be excelling at sport or have excelled at sport
1: i think raw models are very important um i think it's priceless i guess to see somebody else doing what you want to do just to to know that it's possible um, i feel like I, I have asked myself you know can i can I do this? Is this possible? Can I get into these positions? And, and just seeing somebody else like John Amici, like, um, you know, Jason Collins or, mm. uh, trying to think of other athletes and the names have lost me, but just thinking of other people in those positions said, well, this person managed to get through it. So if they can do it, I can definitely do it.
0: I think those role models are invaluable for everyone. You stayed there for two years. Then you come back to Bra. Why the move?
1: Uh, The move was a number of things, um, I guess, but one of the things is towards the tail end of my uh, South Carolina career, I guess things weren't wholly as positive. Um, So while I say that a lot of the team were neutral, um, you had one or two people who who weren't exactly very welcoming, um, and I guess that started to take a toll on me, and I decided that I wanted to come back to the UK um, is my home is where I've always been safe and, and comfortable. And, uh, I just assumed that it would be better than the deep South. Obviously, um, things happen in the UK too, but it's been a more positive experience overall for sure. When you get those
0: negative moments and yeah, you know, we all have, them. I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's different ways we all kind of have, have things that greet on us or get us down, et cetera. You know, but for you, especially being so far from home, what kind of toll does that take on you mentally? You know, even when you're trying to be at your peak physically and everything else that's, you know, that comes as part of being a student athlete?
1: Um, well, I obviously can't speak for everyone, um, but I guess myself personally, if I'm wondering whether, uh, I don't know how to, don't want to use harsh words, but if somebody cares about me as a person or if, you know, um, if you're wondering if someone hates you, you can't exactly focus on other things, um, in, in my opinion. I feel like if I can't say that I'm safe and comfortable with this environment, how am I going to thrive in that environment? Um, so when comments would, would come or, or people would do things, um, it's always a disheartening feeling. It's like a truck hits you. Um, but I guess for me, I just try and snap back and, and try to focus on, on moving forwards because another
0: person's hate doesn't necessarily have to affect you you come back to this country um and you you said it's more impulsive. positive but is is it more all sweetness and light within this great british basketball community that we talk about um, you know is it as much as you wanted it to be or as you said are there still those moments where you're either cringing or you're feeling a bit of a hate
1: the answer is yes. I guess it's it's not always always positive, and it's it's not it's not going to be always positive. Um, that's something that I'm I'm okay with. But um, it's definitely been a far more positive experience than than has been in the past. Um, there's been incidents within within teams I've been in in the UK as well, um, but overall, I guess I've always found
0: myself safer, feeling more comfortable um, over here. What's the things that still, you know, I don't know, if it's little jokes or comments or something. But what's what's the things that kind of still pinch?
1: Um, well, yeah, I would I would mention jokes. Um, jokes, I guess, are probably the biggest part of it. I don't think there are many people nowadays who outwardly just throw homophobic comments around, um, just because they they hate people or just because they want to. It's more ignorant jokes that people think are funny and and won't affect anybody. Um, But a lot of the time, I guess, if you you think statistics wise, there's people say anywhere between 10 to 20 percent of of people are LGBT or gay. Um, There's going to be someone in the room or someone who knows somebody in the room who will be affected by the comments that you're making. Um, And that that's always a twinge, um, I would say. Sorry, I mean, what was the other part of your question?
0: Well, I, I don't know if there's so much another part, but, I mean, you're and clearly a very eloquent, intelligent young man. And you hear that. How do you make that call? I'm putting you on the spot here. slightly unfair, so I apologise. but How do you make the call between the letting it slide or the, hey, that's not cool?
1: Well, that's a difficult question. Um it depends on context I guess if you're not in a situation where you feel like you're safe and and your comments aren't going to be received very well I think if it's going to incense the situation even more there's probably no point in you speaking but if you're in for example a more privileged position where you know maybe you're the leader of the team the coach of the team a well-standing member of the community wherever you want to call it and people are going to listen to you I think that's that's always an opportunity where you can where you can speak up um I would argue that safety is probably the only reason that you shouldn't say something. Um, and if I feel safe, I
0: will I will definitely say something. What's, what's the kind of unsafe point? I mean, where do you, or where have you had that point? I don't know if there's a specific example or you could talk in general terms, but where's those moments um, come where you don't feel safe? Specifically with
1: people who um i guess seem very violent um one person i i'll try and censor this as as best i can um but they said they would essentially oh i don't even know what to say um they said that they would kill a child if they turned out to be gay um and that kind of violence you know complete disrespect for life just because of an immutable fact about a person kind of tells me that that person isn't going to listen to to logic or to reason, and that's not somebody I need to to try and have a, an argument or debate with.
0: Which must be as as unsafe as that might make you feel. It must be awfully depressing to hear.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. It's not. It's not the best thing to hear
0: for sure. Um, I mean, in general terms, you you know, look around domestic basketball, and John is the totem for everybody, but. We remind ourselves that John didn't officially come out until after he'd finished playing. And yeah, I've I've known other players in the game, in the BBL, who've been openly gay to teammates or quietly gay or whatever way you want to put it, but not really wanted to talk about it or come out publicly and make a big statement. And yeah, you don't necessarily, not everyone wants to do that. But when you look around the game in this country, and we're probably talking more male specific on this what do you think is still stopping more players like yourself just putting their hand up and saying yeah this is me i'm a basketballer here i am as as you know as a as an open pride person is there is there still a cultural thing there that we need to address
1: uh, i'm not sure of the answer to that one either um i think it's very difficult for anybody to be vocal in any area mm. um and it's especially difficult to do so when no one else has done so before um i think conversations just like these will you know resonate with other people and they'll maybe want to talk within their own circles and possibly even larger but i there's so many different motivations that go through so many people's different mind i don't know but for me it was just i want to hear these conversations i want to i want to be able to be visible for somebody else in the same way that I would have appreciated unto me.
0: So the, the trick is for you now to be so much better as a player that you make the BBL and there you therefore you have broken that bar. <laughs> There's your challenge. Um,
1: I mean, it's a it's a very dual challenge in my eyes, but uh, I'm not sure if the BBL is exactly
0: what I want to go for right now. I mean, let, let's let's go back to basketball. And um, I mean, you're playing you were playing Bucks this year. This is your final year at, at Loughborough. Um, rather than in Division 1. Um, I know your graduation is kind of coming up, but I don't want to talk about your computer prowess because it's, it's yeah, pretty impressive here. But you know, you've you played at a great standard at you know, a junior level and you got college scholarships. I mean, is, is there a next stage for basketball for you or is this a kind of slow decline into rec ball or whatever <laughs> is beyond um, playing at university?
1: No, I I definitely still have goals. I definitely still have things that I want to reach. Um, for me, I kind of want to, to be successful in D1. That's, that's my first goal. Um, and so I'd like to to play for a D1 team next year and and see what happens. Um, but after that, the world is my oyster. I dunno, whatever, whatever opportunities come my way, I will, I will seek them.
0: No, you're, you're doing a computer science degree and what was, what fascinated me and I was looking at through your bio, I think it was on LinkedIn or something but it was a bit more professional. Um, but you like, as a student, you you created this performance app that's, that works in cycling. I mean, tell us about it. What did it involve?
1: Um, so that was part of a um, coding festival. So it's called YRS Festival of Code, um, where they essentially got people all around the country to work for four days to build a project. Um, so me and my team, we created a website called PedalPlan, which is designed to find safer routes for cyclists based on, if I remember correctly, live weather, congestion, um, and historical accidents. Um, so we put that out in, I believe it was 2016, um, and we won the Should Exist Award. Um, so that was a really fun experience. But yeah, I've, I've been coding for ages, um, and it's just something that I enjoy to do. I enjoy problem solving, so that kind of stuff is,
0: is gold to me. Which leads me to believe that you're going to be one of these guys in three years, are going to be a millionaire. And we're all going to be looking at you, going, "He invented this." So if you had this dream, if you could invent the dream app, I don't know if you want, even want to tell us this right now. That might that might <laughs> scupper the making the millions. But yeah, you know, we've, we've had people doing you know, on on this podcast talking about the impact of tech and sports, and um, oh, clearly there's a fascination there. What do you what do you think tech, and coding, and all that that kind of technology which i do not claim to understand but where do you where do you think that can go Uh
1: it's a very deep question um, thank you i don't want to geek out on you right now but we like uh, geeking things. out in this
0: podcast <laughs> um
1: tech is everywhere i guess um tech is is really uh present in in all kinds of industries and it, it just has an ability to help improve whatever existing systems you have so if you look in the NBA, they, they use tech to, to track their players' health, um, to track many, many different things during a game. I think there's exciting applications of artificial intelligence being used to to try and predict how a player will decline over a season or how injuries could affect a specific player based on previous injuries and stuff like that. Um, so I, I think there's definitely applications everywhere. It just depends on where you look. And unfortunately, no,
0: I can't give any away away any trade secrets <laughs> what tech have you used as a as a bowler is there is there things that you use to kind of track yourself or get better
1: um not really uh, most of the newer tech applications to basketball are quite expensive and, and just growing up as a student i was never i was never a guy to, to buy the flashiest gear it would just be me and and alex charles shout
0: out um at the tennyson park just shooting away yeah i think that the, the... The greatest piece of tech, and I say greatest, the most high piece of tech that still sits in my cupboard in my office is the Spalding Smart Ball, which had the app to track all your shots and makes and misses, and which the ball didn't deflate, but the app deflated pretty quickly when everyone found it. <laughs> it was pretty rubbish. But, you know, it's good to dream big. Apps are the way forward. There must be things to do in basketball. And clearly... You're the man to make a mint out of it. Um, it, it. And here's a philosophical question: If you could be the next Bill Gates or the next LeBron, which would you rather be?
1: Oh, that's a hard question. Mm. But I guess Bill Gates has way more money, so I have to say Bill Gates.
0: 50s, and he can. Yeah, I'm sure. He, I'm sure. You look at the man; he clearly balls. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you could give LeBron 50. Um, when you, when you talk about next season in D one, is that going to be? Have you got an eye on a club already, or will you move back to to London? Have you? How much do you kind of? How much will you plan next? Your next move around basketball, or is it all about career now?
1: Um, oh, the plan is definitely to move to to London and and try play for a team there. I don't want to count my chickens until they hatch, so I won't say which ones. But you know, if there's a team in the right situation for me, I'm definitely going to go for it.
0: Do you feel that, I mean, we don't have a lot of D1 players on this podcast, but how do you feel that the league at that level is set up for players to improve? And I I say improve, you know, be better within a system to improve your skill set, you know, possibly progress onto the, to another level, whether it's the BBL or abroad or wherever people want to do. I mean, you, does, does it feel like it's a, it's a level that's good enough in this country?
1: Well, I guess, is is anything ever good enough? Um, I think we definitely have a great league. Um, there are some great academy programs that, that um, like Barking Abbey and, and Loughborough who train up their players extremely well, um, some of the younger players. And then you've got the, the older teams in the league who impart their, their wisdom through their vets. Um, I think we're always getting better as a, as a league. Um, and even this year, if you've been watching, it's been quite a talented year. So I think things are definitely on the up. What about Bucks?
0: I mean, you've you've had the taste of America. You two years there, two years in Bucks. Is Bucks fit for purpose as well in terms of improving players, giving you that you know competitive environment, but also again raising the standard.
1: I would hesitate to say that Bucks is is really about improving players, um, just because I feel it's a lot of university players just playing in the last few years before they before they graduate. Um, so, in terms of fit for purpose to improve players, not really um it's it's a great place with a lot of great players in it for sure. we have several d one players in our in our box league um, and so it's definitely a great place to play, um, but not particularly an improvement pathway i would say
0: hmm. Let's let you out of here on three three further philosophical questions. If you could trade places with anybody for a day, who would you swap with oh
1: wow um. Who would I swap with? Alive or dead? Anyone you choose. Let's go Kobe. I just want to see what that guy's life was like. Just the day in his life just sounds very interesting.
0: Not his last day, but any other day before Not his last day. That would be cool. If you could choose one superpower to change one thing, what would you ask for? One superpower? I'd have
1: to go with super speed. Um, I'm always rushing. I'm always late for everything. So just being able to get to places
0: on time would be great. And if you could invent one app, I don't know if it's your go-to app or the coolest app, and you can't choose your own app because you've already invented that, what would you choose? If I can make any app, um,
1: I'd say like a a social social media. Now, in my head, Facebook and Twitter are all great, um, but I don't think they're about being social. It's more just about, I guess, feeding each other content. Um, An app that focused on relationships like friendships or whatever they may be i think that would be that'd be a really cool app there you
0: go there's where he's making his millions don't tell you don't have to tell us anymore (laughs) carl um thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your story it's it's fascinating um good luck in the graduation good luck in the the job move and good luck in making the millions because yeah clearly you've got it sorted thank you Thanks for coming on call. That is it for this edition of the MVP cast. If you haven't already, subscribe via your preferred podcast provider or just ask Alexa or Google or whatever other device to play MVP cast. It's always great to hear from you as well. If you want to reach out, get me on Twitter at MarkBrupple. Another edition of the podcast coming very soon. But from me, Mark Woods, thank you so much for listening. And it's goodbye.